Good evening. It's the Lunar Observance Day here at Bayagiri, and the community has been uh, practicing together for about the past week now, uh, beginning our uh, formal winter retreat that we uh, that we do every year, and this is uh, quite a wonderful opportunity that we. We have every winter just to really um, set aside all of our duties and responsibilities, and uh, the the monastery is closed to most most of the activities and uh, external events that we usually have during the rest of the year. So uh, it's an opportunity really just to have a lot of time for for our. our formal practice of, of meditation. Oftentimes during the year we, we may find ourselves getting uh, busy at times and um, it can be quite easy to, even living in the monastery, to be uh, you know, sometimes quite distracted by, by duties and, and different activities and things. So uh, this, this period of time is really quite a wonderful, wonderful opportunity just to uh, really set things aside and, and be able to really go inwards and, and spend a lot of time really investigating the, the formal practice of meditation. And particularly this year, we, we have the opportunity to have quite a lot of time for solitude as well. Uh, we've been practicing together for this past week uh, as part of kind of a group uh, group practice, so we've, we've had uh, quite uh, structured uh, days with walking and sitting meditation for uh, the whole community, but uh, over the next few months we'll have uh, quite a lot of opportunity for people just to have uh, time at their own dwelling place in the forest and uh, the different monks and even the lay people uh, staying here in the monastery as well, I believe, all have a number of weeks uh, where we can just spend all day by ourselves, and for many of us that might be, you know, the first the first time maybe we've had that experience. It's something that's incredibly incredibly valuable just for being able to really start to develop the practice on a on a deeper level and. Um, I've always found that these periods of uh, retreat where we really have a lot of time uh, to reflect and also a lot of time to be alone. For myself, it has always tended to uh, br uh, br bring things up in the mind that uh, oftentimes don't, don't come up normally. Uh, so we, we have the opportunity to really deepen, you know, deepen the practice. And um, of course that, that involves working with a lot of uh, perhaps deeper, deeper problems and, and deeper causes of suffering that we might not normally have the opportunity to look at. So I think, uh, yeah, for most of us when we uh, we come to a, a meditation retreat like this, and um, 
especially the, the idea of having a lot of time for oneself to be able to uh, to spend as, as we wish. Um, you know, a lot of us are quite, quite excited about that and really uh, looking forward to it. But I think for, for many of us, you know, the, the actual reality of, of solitude and, and uh, having so much time to oneself oftentimes is, can be quite a bit different than we, we expected. We oftentimes have the, uh, the feeling that, you know, the suffering that we experience uh, during the day is, is caused by other people and other uh, situations outside of ourselves. And even as monks, oftentimes we have the feeling like if I could just, if I could just go away and live in the forest just by myself and I didn't have any of these duties and responsibilities and I didn't have to be around people, you know, then I would just be really uh, incredibly happy. And it's very easy to believe that. Um, so we do have this opportunity to be able to see whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's true. And I think for, yeah, for so many of us uh, coming into this, this situation where we do have so much time uh, and we do have, you know, possibly weeks now to be alone and, and not really to see anyone, then uh, so often the, the reality is we, uh, we come face to face with some very, uh, some very heavy suffering that we haven't really been looking at and maybe it hasn't really had the opportunity to come up uh, most of the time, but when we're really just by ourselves in solitude, then we really ha don't have any anything else to blame our suffering on other than ourselves and other than our own minds. So it becomes really uh, obvious and apparent, you know, where the, where the suffering is really coming from. And the Buddha gave quite a wonderful simile. Um, he said, suppose that there was a, an elephant, a very large elephant, and it found a, a lake of, of water in the forest and then um, it would go into the lake and uh, being so big, its, its legs would reach the bottom of, of the lake and standing there it would play in the water and it would bathe itself and then having enjoyed itself, it would come out of the lake and then, and then leave. And then a small rabbit or a cat would see the elephant doing that and think, oh, I'll, I'll do that too. I'll go, and, I'll go and play in the water. So the, the rabbit or the cat would, would go and jump into the lake, but being so small, then their, their legs wouldn't touch the bottom and they would either sink or float away. And the, the, Buddha, the Buddha says this is like um, one who is not skilled in meditation who goes into solitude. So the, the elephant in the, in the simile is like one who is skilled in, in meditation, then they're able to go into 
into solitude and immerse themselves in it and really enjoy themselves. But the, the one who is not very skilled in meditation, they may see other, other people who are able to enjoy themselves in solitude and they think that they're, they're the same, but going into that situation, then they either sink or they float away. They, they sink into mental states of depression and uh, various distress and uh, um, boredom, or they, they float away into states of craving for the world and restlessness. So I think for, for many of us, we, we tend to have this experience, you know, uh, reading about the great meditation masters and uh, reading about how they were able to just go off and live by themselves and really immerse themselves in, uh, in incredible happiness. And then we think that we'll, we'll do that too, but trying to immerse ourselves, then we tend to just sink or float away. And it's very common for, for people to um, yeah, face some very, you know, very extreme emotions that, that will arise even within the first few days of solitude. And uh, so often, you know, the monks who, uh, particularly like in a place like Thailand, if they go, they go off to live by themselves, then you know, usually they don't really last very long. You know, after a number of weeks, then um, they can't, you know, really can't take it anymore. So coming to this place and wanting to spend these, these three months uh, experiencing quite a lot of seclusion and even, you know, during the, the periods where we're practicing as a group, then we, we may still have the same experience, you know even with the group practice, although we're, we're around other people and we have kind of a schedule, but still we don't really have that much going on. There's not really much uh, duties and responsibilities. And, uh, you know, it, we are still very secluded from, from the world. So it's very, it's very normal to have this experience of just sinking, floating away, being overwhelmed by of uh, various moods and, and defilements. So coming to this, uh, this place then to, to spend this time, we have the opportunity to, to learn how to work with this. And it is something that, although most of us will find it very difficult, it's, uh, you know, it's of course incredibly beneficial. It's, uh, it gives us the opportunity to really, I feel like, make a lot more progress if we're willing to, to be present with what arises. And it might be much more difficult than we're, we're used to, you know, wherever we normally practice, even for the monks. Practicing in the monastery, we tend to experience this period of time as, uh, you know, for most of us, probably as a, a period of time which is, uh, which is more difficult than, uh, than usual. So then coming to, to learn how to work with these, these difficulties, then 
uh, we, you know, we have to use we have to use skillful means, and we have to investigate for ourselves what works for us because so often we we do uh, try to practice like we're the elephant, but if we're not really the elephant, then we'll find that the you know the things that work for the elephant maybe don't really uh, work for us. So so often we may find ourselves, particularly if we have uh, time for ourselves and, and you know time up at our, our dwelling place, then if we if we run into uh, obstacles that are you know overwhelming and that we we can't find our way around, then it's perfectly perfectly fine to use other um, activities as well to to learn how to work with our defilements. Uh, there are many other um, things that we can do in addition to formal meditation when we run into uh, very strong mental states that we feel like we can't, uh, we can't work through and we feel overwhelmed by them. Even as monks, we have many other activities like chanting and studying, um, even things like sewing or kind of making our requisites. Um, all of these, these kinds of activities are things that we can uh, use, particularly in this kind of situation, uh, you know, trying to walk and sit as much as we can, but then also realizing that if we do run into really strong periods of suffering and we can't sit or walk through them, then we, we, can, we can use some other kind of uh, activity which we're we're interested in that is a, a wholesome activity that the mind is interested in, you know, studying and chanting and um, yeah, the different the different kind of tasks and and work uh, work tasks that we do sometimes, looking after the dwelling place and things like this. And of course, as we as we're doing those activities, then it's not um, you know it's not like just like an escape from from the suffering. You know, our suffering is still present even with those activities, but we're we're kind of using those activities as maybe something to stand on. You know, like in the simile of the the rabbit or the cat, until it's able to to really stand on its own. Then sometimes it needs it needs something to kind of help it to to stand on. But always, you know, it's quite important that when we um, when we do any any activities, you know, we should always be um, focusing on on the practice. So we should always be focusing on cultivating constant mindfulness of the body and learning to pay attention to the the emotions that are present, even when we're doing those activities, and still learning how to uh, how to work with those uh, with those emotions. So, you know, in a way, the practice is still the same. Uh, but we're we're just using an external activity to uh, to kind of help us uh, help us along. So then coming to this this practice and uh, learning how to work with these defilements, then I think it's it's very much like. Um, you know, it's very much like the the weather outside. 
say like this last week, it has been uh, very dark and, and rainy. We've been receiving uh, uh, quite incredible amounts of rain over the past week, and uh, pretty much every day, you know, has just been uh, very dark and cloudy. And this is, you know, very much what the what the mind is like for most people. The the defilements in in the mind are like clouds, you know, dark rain clouds that are always completely covering the the sky, completely covering the the surface of the mind. And as we as we practice, you know, over time, perhaps over long periods of time, then there can be experiences where it's like the you know it's like the clouds suddenly part for a moment and the sun is able to to shine through and maybe it only lasts for for a moment and then that the clouds cover the sun again but this is you know this is what our our experience in the practice can be like you know, maybe for a long time just having only dark mind states and learning how to work with those, then at some point we can start to experience brief brief moments of breaks in, in the clouds where we we suddenly can start to experience real real happiness and real joy in the practice of meditation. But oftentimes, you know, in, in the beginning these experiences are very short-lived and it's like the, the sun kind of peeking out through the clouds after a moment or two, maybe it's completely covered again and maybe it's many days or weeks until we, we see the sun again. But this can really give us a lot of encouragement, you know, just to know that the sun is actually there, you know, just to know that there is, there is happiness in, in the mind, you know, the, the joy and the happiness that we're looking for, it does exist, but it's, it's buried on the other side of all of our negative emotions. So the, the experience of, of the practice can be like gradually learning how to thin out the clouds and kind of wear away the clouds so that over time those experiences of happiness arising starts to be more frequent and more uh, uh, starts to last last longer before it before it disappears over time then you know if we practice for a very long time then maybe we can finally start to have the experience of of having you know long periods of sunny weather long long periods of of real happiness so then in in trying to to work with these uh negative emotions in in the mind then the the buddha said there are these five main hindrances that we've we've heard of and that we've studied in ourselves 
uh, desire, anger, dullness, restlessness, and doubt. And of course, those are only five of the main, main hindrances, the main defilements that we experience. And of course, there's, there's so many other emotions as well that maybe can fit under those, those main five, you know, so many other emotions that, um, that cause us suffering, things like depression and boredom, uh, jealousy and arrogance, many other emotions that uh, that are also defilements of the mind. So, you know, these these things are all uh, dark, dark clouds in our minds, and it's only through learning how to remove those that we can we can have any any hope of really experiencing uh, real happiness. So the defilement of desire, then the uh, the Buddha said that you know one who is overcome by desire, craving, longing is like one who's in debt. And somebody who's in debt is not uh, not able to be at ease. You know they're they're in a state of lacking. You know they need they need something. They're not satisfied. It's like being overwhelmed by desire and longing. You know we're not able to be at ease. We're not able to be satisfied. So learning how to work with with desire, then um, you know, can we? Can we learn how to use mindfulness of of the body and the the breath to to soothe that that feeling of desire? Working with the the actual physical energy of desire. You know, how do we uh, how do we keep the mind from being overwhelmed by it and from being shaken by it, and and to prevent ourselves from being Carried away by the uh, the thoughts of our of our desires, we're learning how to use the uh, the breath to to calm and to soothe that energy, and at the same time uh, contemplating the you know the things that our our desire tells us that are feeding this uh, this state of mind. Questioning, uh, you know, whether the the things that we want really are as good as our mind tells us they are. Of course, when we we investigate, you know, we all we all have had the experience that, you know, the pleasant things in the world they they don't really give us pleasure for very long. You know, the the nature of our mind is that we we easily become bored with things, and whatever we find that we enjoy, then we quickly become bored with it. And it's, it's not satisfying to the mind. We have to look for something else. The you know, desire is always uh, lying to us, you know, telling us that 
if we just have this object or this experience, then this would be a permanent source of happiness. So in, in addition to learning how to work with the energy, then we can, we can be questioning these, uh, these thoughts. And the defilement of anger, then the, the Buddha said that one who is overcome by anger is like one who has a, a disease. And, you know, we can imagine somebody with, with a horrible disease, like a, like a skin disease or, or something that causes them just constant pain and suffering and dis-ease. You know, somebody has some kind of horrible skin disease and uh, they have rashes and sores all over their body, then it would be impossible for them to ever be at ease. You know, they would always be uh, agitated. So this is like the, the mind of, of anger is always agitated, uh, not, able to, not able to be at ease. So we can learn how to, uh, in the same way, use the breath, use the awareness of the body to uh, learn how to breathe through these uh, sensations, learn how to, uh, to calm this, this energy of anger, and at the same time we can question the, uh, the, the things that our anger tells us, you know, about other people or about other situations. Anger always tells us that the other people are completely bad, you know, they, there's nothing good about them, and they're, uh, you know, they're always, they always do, they're always like this. But, you know, of course, if we, if we question that, we examine that, then we'll see that this is also not, not true, you know. Uh, certain people, they, they might do and say things to us that are not kind, but if we really look at that person, you know, we'll see that they, they're, they're not always that way, you know. It very much depends on the mood they're in. And even for myself, I so often thinking back to, you know, people who really did, uh, who really did hurt me and who really did uh, say or do very unskillful things to me. And when I really honestly look at them, I, I can remember times that all of them were kind to me, actually. Uh, which is not something that our anger wants us to to acknowledge. You know, anger doesn't want us to realize that. So the defilement of uh, dullness. Then the um, the Buddha said that one who uh, who is filled with dullness or uh, sleepiness is like a, a prisoner. And a prisoner is someone who is uh, trapped and confined in a small cell and has no freedom, you know, doesn't have the freedom to go where they want to, uh, has to spend all of their time in a small cell. And this is like the, you know, defilement of dullness, of boredom, depression, laziness. It traps us in a, a small space that we can't escape from. And so much so that if it gets to very extreme uh, levels, like extreme depression or laziness, then we almost can't even physically move. Uh, 
So it kind of boxes us in. We don't have the freedom to be able to enjoy the things we want to. So in the same way, learning how to work with this, with the mindfulness of the body, and you know, in this case, learning how to use the sensations of solidity in the body, being grounded in the body, um, in order to not be swept away, overwhelmed by the, the looseness of the mind, the torpor of the mind. And also trying to find things that, that interest the mind, and that's you know, really the natural antidote to, to dullness and torpor is, is like interest. You know, we, we know that when we're doing something that we're interested in, then we have a lot of energy, you know, we're, we're enjoying ourselves, we really want to do that, uh, that particular thing. So, you know, finding things to, if there are th- different things that we can contemplate, you know, if there are things that the mind enjoys thinking about or contemplating, uh, if we're truly overwhelmed by dullness, we can we can do things like studying or chanting or uh, other activities that we find that the mind is interested in. And being interested, then uh, there will be natural energy that is that is arising. And the the defilement of restlessness, uh, agitation, worry, anxiety. Uh, the Buddha said, "One who's." overwhelmed by this is like a slave. And, you know, like the prisoner, the slave is somebody who doesn't have any freedom. You know, they don't have the freedom to do what they want. They're in a state of disease. You know, they, they, they don't have the freedom really to enjoy themselves. And, you know, this is like our, our restlessness and our worry. You know, we're, we're slaves to these emotions, you know, we have to worry about uh, what, our, what our anxiety tells us to worry about. We have to think about the, the restless thoughts that arise. So we don't have the freedom to, to be at ease. So learning, again, how to use the, the body and the breath, how do we um, relax in, into that energy, how do we um, prevent the mind from being agitated and swept away. We can, we can also contemplate the, um, you know, how, uh, how maybe there, there isn't actually a point in you know, our worrying and our, our uh, restless thoughts, uh, you know, we always feel like uh, we have to worry about uh, certain things. We feel like it's a good, a good thing to do, it's a necessary thing to do, but, you know, really, really questioning that is it, does it really help us? Um, you know, so often we find that worrying about things actually makes, makes things go worse. And if we're able to just let go of that worry, then you know, there's a sense of ease and, and things are able to go uh, so much better. So the, the last hindrance of, uh, of doubt, 
And the, uh, the Buddha said that you know, one, who, one who is overwhelmed by doubt is like someone who is lost in, in the wilderness or in the desert, lost in, in the middle of a journey and not, not sure where to go. Someone who, you know, if, we, if we've ever been lost, and I, I can remember now a time a couple of years ago where I, I uh, was genuinely lost uh, somewhere when I was in Thailand by myself, and yeah, it was quite a frightening and disorienting experience. Uh, the, this experience of doubt, you know, real strong doubt is like a uh, you know, very ungrounding experience, you know, quite um, filled with disease, you know, not knowing what should I do. Uh, you know, this, this feeling of complete uh, disease and not feeling secure, you know, feeling um, like we're unsure, unsure of the way to go. So in the same way, we can, we can learn how to use the, the body and the, the breathing, working with the energy of doubt, learning how to set aside the, the endless thoughts that, that spin out in the mind. What should I do? Should I do this? Should I do that? Is this the right way? The more that we think about these things, then just the more, uh, the stronger the, the dis-ease becomes. So, learning how to, to cut off these thoughts and learning how to just be present with the physical feeling of doubt, learning how to, to calm that, that energy, learning how to not be swept away by it. So the more that we are able to, to learn how to work with these emotions and learn how to prevent the mind from being so overwhelmed by them, learn how to wear away our, our habitual reactions to them. Slowly we can, we can learn how to, to wear, wear away their, their power over us. And maybe at some point we can start to come to the experience of real, real happiness like you know, the Buddha says, like, one who, who was in debt but is able to pay off all of their loans and then has no, has no more debt, you know, would, would feel great happiness and joy. One who had a horrible disease but then was cured from it and was able to go where they wish and be completely at ease uh, would feel great happiness and joy. One who was a prisoner and was then released, able to go wherever they want to in the world, they would feel incredible joy. One who was a slave and was then released from their slavery would feel incredible happiness. One who was lost in the wilderness but then found their way out would be filled with joy and happiness as well. So this can be our our experience in the beginning maybe for only short periods of time, but as the practice goes on, then this 
experience of real happiness and joy can become more and more our overall experience of, of life. So these are just a few reflections for the evening. Wish everyone a very uh, enjoyable and fruitful winter retreat. And I'll offer that for reflection. <laughs>